Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 126 When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. When our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy, then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negeb. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. Moreover, wealth is treacherous. The arrogant do not endure. They open their throats wide as Sheol. Like death, they they never have enough. They gather all nations for themselves and collect all peoples as their own. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Good morning, and welcome to the second Thursday of Advent. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Iamsville, Maryland. This morning's readings come to us from Psalm 126, Habakkuk 2, and Philippians 3. But you didn't know how to say Habakkuk. Of course, I don't know that I know. I just know that I'm confident in saying it like I say it. But I could be wrong. Um... Habakkuk is one of the the last books of the Old Testament, uh, if I remember right. And Philippians, for long-time listeners know, uh, Philippians is one of my favorite books because I think it's one of the least appreciated, Um, namely because uh, there's, uh, or I think that because there's like this line of books, uh, this ongoing conversation about Christian attitudes of war and peace 
in particular Christian soldiers. Started with Adolf Harnack in 1901, um, then with uh, John Cadeau in oh, 1919, I think. Cadeau was a um, uh, an ambulance driver and conscientious objector, and he wrote one of his first book. He went on to be a pretty prominent theologian, but his first book was on attitude, Christian attitudes of war and peace. Um, following after Adolf Harnack, who wrote in German, um, Cadeau, I believe he wrote in French. Um, after him was uh, Jean-Michel Hornus, um, and his book is called It Is Not Lawful for Me to Fight. You can find it from Whitfinstock. Uh, it's a reprint. I think his was in the 30s. Um, after Hornus, it was... Um, Roland Bainton, Christian Attitudes on War and Peace. Um, and then there's uh, a few more. Um, John Helgeland is one, uh, Christians and Christians and the military. Um, after, after his death, John Yoder had students of his publish uh, a book of a very similar title to the Bainton book, um, Christian Attitudes on War, Peace, and Revolution, because he didn't want to be perceived as like kind of stepping on Bainton's toes by publishing, uh, you know, kind of an update because he really liked Bainton. Bainton was a Quaker. Um, Helgeland, I believe, is Lutheran. Who else did I miss? Hornus, he's a French Catholic. Um, and uh, so there's this line of books talking about the attitudes of the early church towards war and military service. None of them... I have to double-check, <clears throat> which I'm doing as I write, God is a grunt. But none of them that I know of treat Paul as one of those early Christians who had an attitude on uh, war and peace. Um, and I don't know if I would have thought that way until I had taken uh, a course on the early church from N.T. Wright at uh, University of St. Andrews in Scotland. And the class that I took, it was actually co-taught with him and Mark Elliott. And the premise, which uh, for some reason in the UK goes by Tom Wright instead of N.T. Wright. We just call him Professor Wright or Professor. Um, he he was very uh, quick to point out, and I don't think Elliott was his kind of opponent in thinking this. I think he agreed that when we talk about the early church, uh there is no reason um, to exclude the New Testament writers. When we talk about the early church, when we talk about patristics, most of the time, most you know, university settings, you're talking about late first into the second century at the earliest, through maybe the fourth century before the early medieval period. Um, but patristics, this field called patristics, doesn't typically include the Bible itself. And I can... I can see why that is. I mean, that's fine. Um, but if we're going to talk about Christian attitudes about anything, um, we must certainly assume that Paul and the gospel writers and the communities that produced them were also Christians who had attitudes about something. And Philippians is one of those books where Paul, an early Christian, is, um, if not explicitly, certainly implicitly, um, making clear his attitude on war and peace. Philippians 
were, uh, or the, the church in Philippi was, uh, as with the rest of the city in Philippi, <clears throat> um, was heavily military-oriented. Um, it was uh, one of these cities that kind of served as like a miniature capital. Um, it was named after one of the Caesars, um, and it began with the Battle of Philippi in 42 BCE, before the Common Era, before um, Jesus. Uh, the Battle of Philippi was waged between Brutus, you know, A2 Brute, um, and uh, Marcus Aurelius and Octavian. And it's essentially the battle that decided the, or that, you know, was the kind of fatal blow to the M- the Republic of Rome. It was the end of the Republic, beginning of the Empire, um, where it went from senatorial control, more or less, to um, imperial emperors, Augustus's, Caesars, all that stuff. Um, and the forces, after they they were, you know, the battle, um, the the victors settled a bunch of their legions there at Philippi. Um, it was sometimes the case that the opposing forces were um, given pardons um, as a way of like gaining their loyalty, um, and it's very possible that veterans of on both sides of the war or the battle at Philippi settled in Philippi. Then, uh, like 12 years uh, after the Common Era, like 12 CE, another large group of veterans gets retired there at Philippi. So <clears throat> when Jesus is a child, Philippi is a military town, like Fayetteville, North Carolina, um, uh, Jacksonville, North Carolina, uh, Lawton, Oklahoma, um, Columbus, Georgia, you know, all these military bases have towns. Um, where a bunch of military people are, and a lot of veterans typically stay. Um, and Paul addresses them as as such. And nowhere does Paul ever say, you know, the military is bad because the military kills. Paul addresses the audience of Christians um, in a way that never discloses any kind of like contempt uh, towards military service. And certainly that developed eventually over time. Um, the most notable examples of early pacifism are Tertullian and Origen. Um, but they were, you know, eloquent writers, but did not reflect uh, a consensus in the church. Uh, there, there wasn't one before the Council of Nicaea allowed Christians to communicate openly. Um, so any idea that the early church was anything is a bit misleading because we weren't in conversation with one another. We were mostly either just very small pockets or we were underground in large cities that may have been hostile either uh, from Jews who thought that this, you know, sect that believed this one Jew was the Messiah, um, you know, there was either persecution from the Jews or persecution from the Romans who needed a scapegoat to you know, like Nero blaming the fire on Christians in Rome. Um, So Philippians is written in a way that never discloses any kind of the later discomfort with violence. Paul elsewhere also makes very clear he has no qualms with citizenship. He he uses his citizenship to get out of a beating in Acts 22. 
um, even though the soldier had to pay a great sum for his freedom or his citizenship, depending how the Greek word uh, politeia is um, translated. So uh, Philippians is one of these places where Paul is using military language, um, not just because it was kind of cool to do, like everybody wanted to be a grunt or something, but because that was his audience. So when he speaks um, in Philippians in our passage this morning of suffering, that is something that Paul is picking up on and using to great effect um, in an audience that knows what suffering is like, the value, the intrinsic value of suffering. He repeats this again in Romans 5, you know, suffering brings perseverance and perseverance breeds, you know, virtue and, you know, uh, all the rest. I um, mean, there's elsewhere, there's other places that he does it, but uh, for the sake of the, the readings this morning, when he talks about suffering the loss of all things, um, that is something that connects with a military audience. Um, you know, you, you talk to, you know, the garden variety grunt um, about, you know, road marches and how you deal with suffering, um, you know, foot care and, uh, you know, how you, uh, you know, pack your combat load for if you're a paratrooper, like you're accustomed to suffering um, that so much that you know your way around it. It's almost like a friend, you know, like we, we have a name for it. It's called the suck. You just have to embrace it because if you don't, it's just going to be worse. You just have to accept that things are going to suck. Um, you have to accept that suffering is a part of our faith in Paul's in Paul's uh, rendering of it. Um, and not that that brings us something, um, you know, we can't affect our own salvation, Paul doesn't think, <clears throat> but rather um, in sharing Christ's sufferings, in being more like him, in having the faith that being like him and following him in this life will bring us everlasting life. That's what it gets us. Um, you know, I, in a certain sense, embracing the suck, having faith that it won't break you, having faith in your leaders and, and um, your own training, um, that's a kind of reflection of Christian faith, of what it means to uh, believe that on the, the, you know, the other end of, of all this, things will get better, um, and it, in Advent as well, this period in which the, the weary world rejoices knowing that the Savior is near. Um, we have faith that the current suffering, the current weariness that we all are experiencing, whether it's COVID or, or anything else, um, that, uh, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a child um, who will come you know, God with us, Emmanuel, and, and lead us in what it means to be um, a fully human um, and to accept uh, our own limitations and accept suffering as, as something that shouldn't be, you know, run from, but rather um, embraced, just as, as grunts are taught to embrace the suck. Cramped in that funneled hole, a poem by Wilfred Owen. Cramped in that funneled hole, they watched the dawn, open jagged rim around, 
a yawn of death's jaws which had all but swallowed them, stuck in the bottom of his throat of phlegm. They were in one of many mouths of hell, not seen of seam in visions, only felt, as teeth of traps when bones in the dead are smelt under the mud where long ago they fell, mixed with the sour, sharp odor of the shell. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash pewpewhq. You can contribute as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instructions will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with PewPewHQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in the episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I can't convince you to jump in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.